The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Good morning, Summit Church. I'm so excited to be with you this morning as we continue to talk um, through a couple of different psalms. Uh, This morning, we're going to be in Psalms 103 together. And so if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to go to Psalms 103. For me to be with you this morning and and sharing uh, a psalm, to be very honest, it isn't the most comfortable thing for me. When I think about worship, specifically worship through song, it's something that for, for me has always felt a little uncomfortable. And maybe for you, you're in the same boat. I know that at home uh, around the house, my wife constantly has music on. But if I was there by myself, there probably wouldn't be any music happening. Even in my own car driving, I'm constantly listening to podcasts or sermons or things like that. But there's not a lot of like music in my life. And so oftentimes when we think of worship, we often think of songs. We think of singing, whether it's corporately or alone in our own house. We think of music and instruments and and these type of things. This morning as we think and we look at worship, I want to take it to this individual level for us. And I want us to go past these musical instruments and into this heart of worship for ourselves. We see in Psalms 103, David writing this beautiful poem. We see here, there's much, there's something happening that's much, much deeper um, than just comes out of the mouth. So let's read all of Psalms 103 together. And we're going to primarily be looking at these first five verses of this passage because it really wraps up the whole thing in that. So Psalms 103, starting in verse one, it says this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all? all your iniquities, who heals your diseases, who redeems you from the life from the pit, who crowns you with his steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repays us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our trespasses from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. 
and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you you mighty ones who do his word, obey the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, is this phrase that is so much deeper than just our words. And so when we when we take our worship and it just becomes something on a screen or it just becomes a song that we sing, it becomes something in our mouth. But David here would take this blessing much deeper to the depths of his soul that he's saying, may the inner parts of my being cry out a blessing to the Lord. Now we think for a moment Right, This God who loves us and cares for us, who's often the one who's bringing blessing to us, that David in this time would say that the blessing that he has of his mouth, would that would be to the Lord from the depths of our hearts. As, as we begin to walk through these next five verses, I want us to see where this comes from to have a heart like David that from the depths of our soul would cry out blessing to the Lord. I believe that when we have an understanding of what God has done, specifically when we start to even look at our own salvation, it wells up inside of us a heart that truly worships. And so if you're like me this morning, sitting there with music playing, that we can oftentimes just think of song. I want us to get much deeper this morning and begin to develop a heart that brings worship to the Lord, no matter what our feelings may be. N.T. Wright would put it this way. In your idea of God, if your idea of salvation offered in Christ is vague or remote, your idea of worship will be fuzzy or, Ill, or ill-formed. The closer you get to the truth, the clearer becomes the beauty and the more you find worship welling up within you. That's why theology and worship belongs together. The one isn't just a head trip and the other ju- isn't just emotion. And so for us this morning, as we dive into this word and we begin to look and see what does it mean that God has saved us, as we understand that truth in our mind and our heart, it should well up inside of us a heart and a mind and a soul that wants and desires to bring worship to this God. So Let's look at this. In verse one and two, it says this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not 
all his benefits. So what are we not to forget? The first thing that we see in verse three is this. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases? Who is it? It's the Lord who forgives our iniquities and it's the Lord who heals our diseases. Now for us, these two concepts of our our iniquity and our diseases may seem so far apart, but as we study scripture, we start to understand that through the fall of man, we have this brokenness between man and the father and the, the consequences of sin, the power of sin enters into all aspects of our world. Through disease and through hardship and pain and disaster, we see the brokenness that is all around us. But what does it mean that God forgives our iniquities? I mean, this word is one that we, we don't really use a lot, right? I don't know about you, but outside of church, I'm not throwing around the word iniquities a lot, right? But this is a word specifically in the Old Testament that we see quite often, And I think a lot of us, when we see iniquities, we just tie it to sin and and, and they're, they're almost synonymous in our minds. But there are some differences that I think are very important for us to understand because even in this chapter, we see these three different words used that are often tied to sin, transgression, sin, iniquity. And I want to really focus on these two of sin and iniquity because for us to really grasp what God's doing here, I think there's some great truth for us to hold on to today. This idea of sin, oftentimes you may have heard it referred to as missing of the mark that this concept of sin could be boiled down to this understanding that there, there is this mark, there is this holiness, and that when our actions miss that mark, we find ourselves in sin. And this idea of iniquity being this word of awan, this iniquity is deeper. If sin is the missing of the mark, iniquity is within us the nature or the reason why we would miss such a mark. This concept in Hebrew scripture of being bent or broken in a way for us. And so for you and I, inside of us, not only do we have actions that are sinful, that we are people that would then be sinful ourselves. And so God is saying right here in verse three, he is the one who forgives all your iniquities, that it's not just your actions, but it's who you are that he forgives at a very deep, deep level. We would also see in this word, this idea of guilt being tied to it so closely. For some of us in the room, understanding and knowing that Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sins still leaves you in a place where guilt of your past weighs over your head and on your shoulders. May I remind you this morning that God forgives 
your iniquity. That that guilt is gone. And now the guilt that hangs over our head that we continue to come back to is not of the Lord, but it's our past that he's wiped away and it's the enemy trying to hold this over your head. And so may you be reminded this morning that if you found faith in Jesus Christ, you are free. And not just hypothetically or not just in theory, but you are free. Free. But we also see this idea that he heals our disease. Jump with me to Luke chapter five. I, I want us to see this place where Jesus places these two concepts together as he teaches. And we see this in this very unique story as Jesus heals this man. In Luke chapter five, starting in verse 18, it says this, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, um, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise and walk but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose, he rose up before them, picked up what he had been laying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized all of them and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things here today. That Jesus, as this man's brought before him, revealing as the son of man and as God himself, he says to this man that your sins are forgiven. And immediately the religious leaders at this time begin to look around and, and they go, who is this? Who is this Jesus that he would blaspheme? Only God is able to forgive sins. And so Jesus in this place reveals to him that he has authority over sin, over disease, over death. And so to show these people that this man's sins are also forgiven, he also tells this man to get up, take his mat and walk out. And the man did. And it says he walked away glorifying the father that his heart was changed and all those that saw what God did that day, their hearts were changed. That our God not only forgives sin, but he takes away the power of sin in our life. So for you today, be reminded that God has taken away your sin, but he's also taken away the power of that sin. Guilt, 
death, shame, all of these things have been removed from your life when we have faith in Jesus Christ. So we jump back to Psalms 103 in verse four, it would say this, who redeemed your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. What an amazing verse. Who redeemed your life from the pit. We see in the previous verse, not only does Jesus Christ remove the penalty for our sins, but he takes us out of this life of destruction. That our lives are heading to destruction and the pit that would lead to a life outside of a relationship with him after our death. But also for us here, that sin has destruction in our own life. But Jesus Christ would take us out of that pit. He would rescue us from that destructive life. But I love this, what it says in the second part of this verse. He redeems your life from the pit and then crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. That, that God doesn't just take us out of destruction and place us on the edge of destruction, but he takes us out of destruction in our life and places us in a place where he would put a crown on our head, that he would take us out of the lowest aspect of our life and put us in a place of honor. That you're reminded today, Summit Church, that he calls you his children that he calls you his co-heirs and he has placed on your head a crown. And what does that, is that crown made of? Something far more precious than gold and diamonds and rubies, but the love of God and his mercy. When I read a verse like this, I can't help but think of Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is the story of the prodigal son. And I want to read the first part of that for you very quickly. Luke 15, starting in 11, it says this. And, and he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all that he had took on a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him, felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son, which was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. This young boy was starving. He was in the lowest position one could ever imagine in this culture. And he turns back to the father. It's interesting in the story that he doesn't turn back to the father because of this renewed love for the father, but he turns back to the father because he realizes that his life is in a disaster and a destruction. And the father welcomes him with open arms that he would run to him. And you imagine this man who's prepared this story of, you know, father, forgive me. I, just let me go be one of your servants because I know that I'll get bread and the father has nothing of it. Go and get the robe, put it on his shoulders. Go and get the insignia of my ring that he is my son and put it on his hands. My son always wears shoes and so put shoes upon his feet and he takes him from a place of a pit and doesn't just bring him back to ground zero, but takes him to a place that's much higher. And so be reminded this morning that your salvation brings you out of the pit and he's crowned you with love and mercy. And I don't know about you, but if I found myself in front of God and I was wearing a crown, I would know nothing more to do than to take that crown off and place it at the feet of the father. That that is our response because of what he has done in our life. In verse five of Psalms 103, it says this, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So many areas of our life, we chase after what we perceive to be satisfying in our life. We run after the better job and the more money and the bigger house and happiness and health and all of these different things in our life that we believe is going to bring us great satisfaction and good. But oftentimes in life, we realize that these are empty. But what God has in store for you and what God provides in our life satisfies us and is good. And it brings us to a place, just as it would talk about in the second part of this verse, that we are renewed like eagles. The greatest and most powerful of all the birds in this kingdom. That we are brought to this place of restored. That he satisfies our good.
And he is all that we need. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. It says this, nothing teaches us about the preciousness of the creator as much as when we learn the emptiness of everything else. Summit Church, I don't know about you, but no matter how awkward I may feel when I sing or uncomfortable that I may feel in raising my hands, when I come to this truth from the depths of my soul, I long to worship this God. I pray this morning for you that you find your heart this morning in a place of great gratitude and worship for him. If you're struggling with that this morning, we have people in this room that would love to pray with you. Maybe for the first time this morning, you've heard about this grace that God has offered to you and you've yet to walk into that and accept that. And if that's you this morning, I wanna invite you to also find your way to these people that would love to pray with you, would love to talk with you this morning. Maybe for many of us, there is communion set up in this room and we may partake in the elements that are brought before us this morning and may our souls Bless the Lord this morning as we worship his name. Summit Church, let's join together this morning as we respond. Pray with me. Holy Father, you are good. You satisfy us. You rescue us. You remove us out of our own destruction and you place upon us crowns of your love and your mercy. May we lay that at your feet this morning. May we remember what you've done through taking of communion. May we respond this morning by stepping out asking for prayer. May we give all of our heart to you this morning because of what you've done. In your holy name I pray, amen.